It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. <laughs> hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. All right, uh, welcome in, everybody. Nice to have you with us here. Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game and our uh, numerous video platforms, the IBX Media app, wherever you listen to us or consume the show, we uh, appreciate it. Thanks for being with us here uh, this afternoon. We are uh, certainly uh, getting closer and closer to Thursday's game. What are we, uh, 26 and a half hours away? From uh, ECU and SMU kicking off, SMU has uh, made their way into Greenville currently, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, tomorrow night's game. We'll have a special uh, expanded uh, show out at uh, the Town Bank Tower location. We'll start with uh, the PJ show out of Adam Gold at 3 o'clock. Cliff Godwin will be with us talking about uh, the uh, fall ball season for the Pirates and their game against Clemson. Uh, We'll talk with Coach G about uh, the continued uh, efforts to uh, donate to the Pirates Unite campaign and uh, everything surrounding ECU baseball and get his perspective on uh, what's going on with uh, college athletics tomorrow. That'll be at 3.15 on 94.3. The game will be radio only uh, tomorrow or on the app or streaming at 94.3thegame.com. We'll also have uh, with us Kevin Williams, ECU's director of golf. We'll talk with Kurt Kraft, who's the track and field coach. They have an event in cross country coming up this weekend uh, in Greenville. Uh, John Gilbert will be with us at 4.30 tomorrow, and uh, we'll be talking with uh, John Gilbert about everything uh, ECU athletics and college athletics, so uh, you'll want to tune in for that tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, our pregame will get underway in that window. We'll have Terrence Copper and Joey Football. Stephen Igo will be with us. Uh, Jim Zoki will be stopping by. So it'll be a full slate, as it always is, uh, whenever we're out there for game day. And Thursdays always have an extra uh, bit of excitement, a little bit of a buzz about them. So that's, uh, that's the layout for tomorrow's program. Today, we'll talk with Doug Martin coming up in a few minutes. Uh, about uh, 12 minutes or so from now, we'll be linking up with uh, Coach Doug Martin from the coast to talk uh, ECU, SMU, but also talk some of the other uh, games around college football from the weekend that was and the weekend that will be. Uh, it was a Coastal winning an app last night on, uh, was it a walk-off field goal, Pilk, or was it just a, a field goal late in the game? I didn't watch it, so I was I just sort of sweet. trying to, yeah, well... It was coastal and app. So yeah, the uh, app lost but- to the beach chickens, haha. And uh, <laughs> it was the field goal was with three seconds left. So pretty okay, much. Okay, so it's kind of a walk off. Yeah, kind of a walk off uh, deal there. Uh, Texas has already punched their ticket to the ALCS. Uh, where are the other things in baseball? Again, um, I love October baseball, but I'm just I'm having. It's the year where it seems like it's hard to find the games again. But uh, what, what's going on in these other series, Pilk? 
Well, uh, Braves-Phillies are tied at one apiece. They will be getting underway at about four minutes for Game 3 up in the city of Brotherly why does Love. It, why does it seem like they've already played six or seven games already in that series? It just seems like they've I, played every night. Because they played last year. That's probably why it feels okay. that way. And the Philly, you know, with that new wild card series being three games, that's got a little bit to do with it feeling longer as well. And uh, mm-hmm. moving over to the Amer- – oh, sorry, what were you about to say, my bad? No, I'm, I said uh-huh. Oh. Uh, and then at 7.07, you got uh, Houston at Minnesota. Stroh's lead that series two games to one, so they're going to close that out tonight. And the uh, six-seeded okay. Dodgers or uh, D-backs tonight trying to close out the Dodgers. They're up 2 nothing, Going for the sweep Okay, are the D-backs. So this Braves-Phils thing probably go. I mean, it's a pivotal game tonight, and it, it probably goes the distance, right? Right? Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, yeah. it's a big opportunity in Philly. I mean, they, they took one in Atlanta. They could easily uh, jump up and win this one in four. But uh, the Braves are historically very good against Aaron Nola, who's pitching tonight for the mm-hmm. Phillies. So uh, good news for Braves fans, despite being on the road and having not held serve at home. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Pilk. Pilk will have more on that coming up. Uh, plus a huge matchup tonight on the pitch of Johnson Stadium uh, at 7 o'clock as ECU is uh, – playing for first place against Memphis in a soccer uh, match. It'll be uh, Memphis somewhere in the top 25. Pilk again will have all the details coming up uh, on that. So there's a little bit of uh, news that broke this afternoon, and uh, I think it is uh, of some importance, and uh, it's something that we kind of got a a tip on last week, uh, and then the meeting that they were supposed to have is uh, canceled. Let me find it on uh, my screen here to make sure I bring it to you uh, as properly noted. Uh, so uh, we've got uh, this. Hang on. We'll set it up. There we go. Everyone, a little breaking news for you. Indeed. Uh, Newburn will forfeit its first five wins of the 2023 season because of the use of ineligible players due to excessive absences during the spring semester. So now Newburn is six, uh, excuse me, two and six with two games to go, including at Rose this Friday. Isn't that interesting? And then at Conley uh, the following uh, week. The Bears, according to uh, Brian North at uh, News Channel 12, could still make the playoffs if they win out. Newburn's football team wasn't the only Craven County team to have to forfeit games. Uh, a release from Kevin uh, Craven County re- reads, North Carolina High School Athletic Association imposes forfeitures to fall sports due to ineligibility. Last month, under the direction of Dr. Miller, superintendent, all athletic directors at the traditional high schools were requested to perform a self-audit to ensure the eligibility of all student athletes participating in fall sports. Craven County Board Policy 3620, extracurricular activity student organization states to be eligible for interscholastic program, interscholastic athletics participation. Jeez, you can tell an attorney wrote this. Students must have been in daily attendance 85% of the previous semester and meet all eligibility standards of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, and any locally established requirements for interscholastic athletes participation. Yikes. Uh, the result of the audit were self-reported to the High School Athletic Association. I'm paraphrasing here. Based on the information confirmed by Dr. Miller, as well as Athletic Director David Fernandez, the county AD there, the NCHSA found that West Craven High School permitted a student who failed to meet the Craven County attendance policy, 
policy and was ineligible to participate in the men's. It should be boys because they're not men yet. Soccer. Uh, during the fall 23 season, uh, level three infraction, uh, call contest, which the ineligible student athlete dressed to participate. They'll have to, uh, forfeit that's, uh, five matches. Uh, so, uh, they're only forfeiting two wins in that case. Uh, the Newburn AD, um, total of four student athletes on varsity football, one tennis player on the girls tennis team found to be ineligible, and uh, Newburn's had to forfeit those uh, victories now, two and six uh, football on the year. They buried, obviously, the big story, that the thing that's got the most heat down there, and that's the Newburn thing that the most people seem to care about, uh, rather than uh, by going first with uh, with uh, Wes Craven saying, oh, we, we've got them too, by the way. So uh, that is uh, the latest out of Newburn today. Uh, again, this is a pretty complicated issue, and it'll be interesting to see what winds up happening if any of the lawmakers on the state level get involved uh, there in Newburn. We probably need to get North back on. Uh, might do that Friday and uh, see what what's what down there with that in the wake of this happening. But uh, we'll have the Newburn uh, Rose game from J.H. Rose and Percy Daniel Stadium uh, coming up on. Friday night, and uh, that's a big game now for Newburn because they can maybe still make the playoffs, but they've had to forfeit victories and are now two and six uh, on the year. Uh, let's see anything else, Pilk, that is of note that we need to make uh, mention of here in this uh, segment here to top things off. I want to go ahead and get a break if we don't really have anything else of of note to break. The Canes are opening the season tonight. Yep, and. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's there's is the window closed there, Pilk, or is there still excitement surrounding their possibility of of competing for a Stanley Cup? I think there's still uh, very much an open window, especially in hockey. There's usually more teams in a sport like football, so um, yeah, I think the fan base is still very much behind this team. And then the other thing to note, something you already hit on with soccer reminder: the first 250 fans tonight receive the free no quarter flag as you already mentioned ah, in the game, but just a reminder to yeah. the fans of that. So get out, out to Johnson Stadium early tonight, not just on time. Yeah, it's a free uh, ticket to ECU soccer, and you get a no-quarter flag. Pilk, you need to get over there and get me a no-quarter flag. I'd Alrighty. love one. All righty. That'd be great. That'd be great to have one. All right, a timeout. And when we come back, uh, we're going to get uh, Doug Martin linked up with us. We're going to talk some uh, college football. We'll talk ECU and SMU, so stay tuned. Uh, as we roll on here on the midweek edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We have you covered with all the ECU news and beyond that you need for the drive home. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Okay, uh, welcome back in. Doug Martin joins us from... uh, Coastal North Carolina, the Crystal Coast. Coach, how's it going? Uh, doing well, Patrick. How about yourself? Doing great. Good to talk to you. Uh, it's uh, kind of an interesting week. I just saw something this afternoon. I guess at uh, USC, uh, they're playing at Notre Dame this weekend. They're uh, spraying the punt returners with water in practice so they can get used to rain in uh in uh at notre dame this have you ever done anything like that played loud yeah, music or or done anything like that to simulate 
conditions or noise or anything? Yeah, I think all coaches have done that one time or another. We used to have a bucket of water out there. We'd dunk the the ball in a bucket of water and then set it down for them to snap and have to use If you knew you were going to play in real heavy rain, uh, crowd conditions, everybody plays loudspeaker. Most people play music at their practices now anyway. Players love that stuff. And you just crank that up so you can't hear it and make it realistic. And, uh, you know, whether it works or not, at least it gets some intensity in practice and it gets the players focused a little bit. So there is some benefit to it. Did you – did you blare music at practice, or is that, or is that more? Was that at the end, I guess, of the run? Yeah, you know, the last probably oh eight years or so, the the music thing okay. became really big, and and we we did it, we you know, and it you, we wouldn't do it during our individual drills or maybe uh, segment drills like seven on seven and things like that because you really wanted to be able to coach and teach, but once we got to our team part of practice. Or anytime it was good on good, your first offense versus your first defense, we would do it just so the players wouldn't be able to hear and they'd have to communicate a little bit better. There's college football tonight. Of course, we're going to talk about ECU and SMU, but there's college football tonight, including uh, your old stomping grounds, New Mexico State, playing at 9 o'clock against Sam Houston. I think they used to be Sam Houston State, but it's just Sam Houston now. CBS Sports Network, Coach, in case you uh, want to check it out. So... There might be an episode of Seinfeld or something that'll be better than that. So I may check into that. <laughs> is that the proverbial paint dry? Is that what uh, I'm hearing there? That that's <laughs> Oh no. I just you know, some of those games are hard to watch, and that, that would be one of them. <laughs> I had the occasion to meet your son this weekend uh in Clemson. He was he's part of the Wake Forest staff. Uh great great young guy i guess he's not young young I, to me everybody's young now but a uh, really cool guy we had a good conversation about uh the pirates we had a conversation about what was going on at wake and uh what's going on in college football now and uh so that was pretty fun i, I know you probably tuned in a little bit to that one and uh, it was a little bit of a tractor pull but uh i think that's why that's what wake wanted and, and wake kind of got it and they had their chance at the end yeah, they did. I'm really proud of Corey. He's really turned into a great coach. He was real. He was my wide receiver coach and our recruiting coordinator. Did a great job. He he coached at the University of San Diego before that, and uh, he's mm-hmm. just done really well at Wake Forest. So, really proud of him. But yeah, I think Wake got the game exactly where they wanted to. Uh, you know, had a chance at the end. Clemson is still really struggling on offense, though. You can see they are they are just. Uh, they just don't look the same at all. There's no continuity oh. to what they're doing. Uh, I think they yeah. really struggle. They made an effort against Syracuse to go vertical, and they just, for whatever reason, didn't. I, I think, in fact, Wake even only went vertical once or twice. Uh, so there was it, it was not it was not uh, a game that saw a lot of attempts to stretch the field. Yeah, what Wake has had a hard hard time protecting the passer long enough to get vertical. That was when Hartman was there last year. That was a big part of what they did. And now they had two really good receivers that could go up and win 50-50 balls, and they lost those guys to graduation. So, you know, they're, they're in a real rebuild mode at Wake Forest. So, I, like I said before the season even started, if they win six or seven to get to a bowl, it's going to be a very successful year for them. And, and I think they got a good chance to do that. Yeah, I, look, I, I think um... – the coaching staff there has done a tremendous job, and yeah. uh, they they have belief. Dave Clawson's a, a class act and a heck of a guy, so 
Uh, and, and, you know, it was interesting talking to some other Wake people. I th- they're about to get heavy in the NIL at Wake Forest. They they feel like well, facilities-wise, they have everything that they need now, and they're about to get heavy in NIL, it looks like. Yeah, they just moved into a new facility that they needed desperately, practice facility. So players' locker room, uh, you know, some, some cafeteria work where the players could eat better, things like that, nutrition, which is a big deal that Wake was really behind. They just literally moved in that – facility this summer and, and again it was much needed so yeah I mean, they're way behind in the nil compared to clemson and those type of schools but you know there's a real separation in that patrick i was looking at kentucky's coach you know mark stoops is complaining about you know georgia and how much nil money they have compared to kentucky and you know that's just the world you live in now in college football and it's it's only going to get more divided and it's only going to get worse before it gets better i think yeah, uh, Doug Martin with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Uh, just back to Clemson with one note. What What is it you are seeing in their offense you don't think that they're as productive as they have been? And look, they're about to go on the road for kind of an extended period. I think there's a uh, well, there's an open week this week, but you know they're not back until they play Notre Dame in Death Valley in November. Yeah, I think, you know, they, they look like the same old Clemson athletically. They look like they have weapons. You know, they've got guys. They've got great running back. The quarterback can throw the ball. They've got a good offensive line up there. But it's like they're just not all on the same page or something. It just doesn't look like there's a consistency to them. And they're not creating as many big plays as they were before. They used to be a real explosive offense. They could score in two plays and get down the field. And I just don't see that from them now. I don't know what they – I'm not close enough to that program to know what their problems are, but they're certainly not playing like they were in the past. Yeah, there are problems. We uh, we know that uh, at least. Uh, anything in particular from last week that stands out or you'd like to, to talk about? Was there any particular game? You know, Georgia kind of handled uh, Kentucky. Uh, I guess Oklahoma upsetting Texas. That, that seems to be one that uh, everybody's kind of talking about. So – uh, any, anything yeah. that uh, and, and Louisville beats Notre Dame. So, is there, are there any any games you wanna you wanna touch on before we kind of go through some stuff this that's involved this week? Well, the thing I would say about Georgia, you know, even though they haven't been beaten in you know however many years it's been, I mean, a phenomenal program. They've kind of been under the radar. You know, nobody talks about them very much because they're not very flashy and everything. And I think they're just starting to hit their stride offensively, starting to play really well. So. Look out, man. It's going to be hard to beat those guys. Uh, but Oklahoma was very impressive in their win. Uh, that was a physical football game. They thought both sides, you know, did some good things. And Oklahoma has really come a long way in a short period of time to get where they are. So, you know, again, that was a, a really good football game to watch. Louisville, you mentioned, I think that's one of the most underrated teams out there. And Coach Brom does a great job. He has everywhere he's been. But, man, you watch where they've come from last year to this year. And a lot of it's just mentality. I mean, he's instilled a mentality in them of toughness, uh, you know, kind of an us-against-the-world type of deal. And He's always been a great offensive coach. They've always scored a lot of points. But, man, they're playing defense, and, and they're going to be a team that's going to be a problem for, for anybody uh, to play here at the end of the ACC schedule. One time ECU offensive coordinator under Steve Logan uh, coached uh, Kent State in New Mexico. State is the head coach, uh, offensive coordinator at B.C., and uh, also now offensive coordinator with the uh, New Orleans team in the USFL, the great uh, coach Doug Martin is with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show this afternoon. I want to ask you about uh, tomorrow night's ECU-SMU game. 
SMU has always been able to score points. Uh, they have a really good quarterback in Preston Stone, a couple of veteran runners in there. They have the skill people. Uh, it's kind of typical SMU. Where this team is different is defensively, they are a lot better than past editions of the Mustangs, and it starts up front with them especially. They got a good linebacker, good nickel, but up front, this is a really tough team that the Pirates are facing uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, I was watching SMU on, on film yesterday a little bit offensively and defensively. You know, offensively, really balanced. You know, they throw the ball well, and they create a lot of explosion plays, but, man, they run the ball good too. You know, they got a nice, uh, you know, play-action pass game. They mix things up really well, in which they've always been pretty good on offense, as you mentioned, Patrick. But I think they're more balanced now than what I've seen them in the past. They used to be a lot more heavy toward the throwing the ball, but uh, a really balanced offense. Defensively, they're playing really aggressive. I mean, they got a lot of people up there at the line to stop the run, a lot of man coverage, which, you know, we talked about this last week with East Carolina. I would have spent that whole open week getting ready for people to play man coverage and pressure me if I was East Carolina on offense because – They've struggled with that, uh, you know, against Marshall and Rice. And I, I got to believe that's what they're going to see, you know, from SMU. So we'll see how much better they've gotten and if they can handle that. But I would expect SMU to play a lot of man coverage and really to force East Carolina to throw the football. If you're the Pirates uh, coach, uh, do you – obviously your defense is going to have to answer the bell uh, tomorrow night. Uh, and, and that's been the, the most consistent area of the team this year. Uh, but offensively, what what would you maybe think that we might see maybe done a little bit different now that they've had a, a week to kind of reset things and really do that self-evaluation? Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of things. You, know, you got to find a way to help the offensive line protect a little bit better. So I think you're going to have to have ways to move the launch point where the quarterback's throwing the ball from. It can't just be, you know, drop back passes all day, whether it's a sprint out or play action, some things just to move that launch point a little bit. And I would use a lot more three-step drop passing game, you know, to get the ball out quickly and let the offensive line be a lot more aggressive up front and get the ball out quick. Uh, you know, another than that, I think it's just, you know, East Carolina's got to find a way or find a receiver that can get open. And if they can't get open, you got to help them get open, whether it's with motions, moving them around, stack formations, whatever you got to do, but you got to get some people open versus man coverage and, and anticipate that it's coming. So those things, and hopefully they can create some explosion plays out of that. I, I still think they've got really good talent at East Carolina. I see a lot of guys that run really well. I think the quarterback has a nice arm. Um, but they're going to have to put those players in position to, to be successful. You know, Coach, the, um, the thing that uh, I think that uh, you kind of look at here is it's, it'll be Thursday night. The students uh, will be out in force. It's the night of the Boneyard game. Uh, you know, uh, 30,000 is what I'm hearing. Uh, maybe a little more. We'll see. But the the students will be a big factor in this game as far as creating early on a, a, an atmosphere. So when you have the students invested, when the students are excited and showing up, especially for a Thursday night game, that to me I think makes a big difference. It does. And I, I've always said, and, and it was validated to me when I left East Carolina, you don't realize how important those fans are. There, there are not many group of five programs that have a fan base like East Carolina. I mean, you can count them on one hand. And, you know, when I went to Kent State, New Mexico State, and, and even when we went on the road and played other group of five programs, 
you just don't run into a rabid fan base like East Carolina has. And it is a weapon. You know, and playing at home is a huge advantage for, for East Carolina. It always has been. So, yeah, man, get out there and cheer for those guys and be loud because they can make a difference. Uh, Doug Martin is with us uh, here. Let me ask you a little bit about the other game that's being played tomorrow night, uh, and that is uh, West Virginia at Houston. So Dana Holgrimson gets a crack at his old uh, at his old school. Um, interesting, they're in the same league now, so this could be a, a somewhat regular occurrence. Um, and he's kind of stated, I guess, he never felt like he could recruit to win a conference championship of the Big 12 at West Virginia, but feels like he can at Houston. So uh, let the uh, let the sparks fly, I guess. Yeah, you know, again, it's going to come down to the landscape that you live in now, whether you win at either one of those places, it's going to come down to NIL money and how many players you can get and how many players you can keep. Now, you know, is there more of an advantage at Houston than – West Virginia, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the finances at West Virginia. I know Houston has a lot of finance uh, uh, advantages. You know, they've got a lot of money in that program, a lot of oil money in Texas that, you know, supports that program and things like that that can help with NIL and all those things. But it's just a different world because of that, Patrick. You know, I think I texted you the other day that, you know, where you see Utah bought 85 scholarship players a Dodge Ram. They all got a new yeah. brand-new truck, every player. I mean, are you kidding me? So when you watch that, what's the SEC, what's Alabama and Georgia say in the next meeting the next day for their recruiting? Well, we're giving our guys a house, right? I mean, <laughs> that's where it's going because we're, they're not going to let Utah one-up them on that stuff. So you watch in the next couple of weeks, it's going to come out that Alabama or Georgia or somebody has done even more, and it's and that stuff is getting out of hand. And So I don't know what anybody other than those very top schools – are going to be able to do to keep players and attract players in that vein. Um, I've noticed it even, you know, when you look at the group of five schools, I was watching Appalachian State play last night, and, you know, they lost to Coastal Carolina. And Appalachian State's an average football team this year. And then I started looking across the group of five. There's not anybody ranked in the top 25 in the group of five right now. And so, and I really believe that that's a product of and NIL is already starting to affect the group of five schools. There's already starting that separation which, I mean, let's be honest, that's what that was totally designed to do. They, they didn't want a group of five competing for a national championship and being involved in those type of things, and they had to find a way to separate again. And that's what, you know, the NIL was for, and that's what it's done. And as I look across group of five, I really see that separating them away from, you know, the power conference schools even more. UCF and Cincinnati messed it up for everybody, right? Is that... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, really, they the competed, one, you know, yeah, they competed, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and Cincinnati got in there, and it was already in the works at that point that you can't yeah. let this happen Listen, again. I mean, this is a burr up under my saddle has been for years, Patrick. You know, you go back to the BCS, you know, Roy Kramer and that crowd, they created the BCS at that time to do exactly what, you know, the NIL is doing. They didn't want Boise at that time was trying to crash the party and right. beat Oklahoma right. and the Orange Bowl, all those things. and. You know, that got close, and so then they moved to the power conference, you know, FBS group of five model, thinking that that would do it. Well, then, you know, group of five schools found a way to overcome that. And so now here comes the next deal, and I don't know how you're ever going to overcome this one. Um, I think they've done a lot of damage to college football in general with this, and particularly group of five schools. But this this really is a choreographed deal 
Uh, and it's not through yet. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moves made yet that are going to separate. You know, even the, the echelon schools, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, those are going to separate from everybody else again. And, you know, maybe that's probably what's best at some point for them to get out of the NCAA totally, and then everybody else can go back to playing college football. There is uh, some articles, uh, speculative articles, making the rounds that certain teams for the American, including East Carolina, could be uh, being vetted in some way for the ACC. Um, you know, it's interesting they've added these teams from the West Coast, and all of the teams that are being vetted in, in the tweets and then the articles now, the analysis pieces are all out of the American. So, um, you know, it was interesting. We talked to Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American, on Monday. There are not a lot of schools out there remaining that could spend at certain levels. I know if you move to the one of the P5s, you would get, obviously, more television money coming in. So that maybe takes care of itself eventually. But we're starting to run out of teams, too, that can just spend at a level at, say, the American, that the American operates in right now. You are. That, that that's absolutely true and that's fair and the other part of it is there's very few programs that are going to be attractive from a fan base standpoint i mean you know why would you ever want uab to be in the acc you know they can't there's eight thousand people at their games you know east carolina on the other hand you know huge crowds appalachian state huge crowds uh you know coastal carolina is going that route starting to get there so you know there's some of those programs that should be more attractive than others you know, I mentioned to you Army and Navy just because of the military uh, backing that they have and everything. It's a national prestige that they have would be attractive to an ACC, I would think. Uh, but the ACC is going to have to expand. If they don't, they're going to die just like the Pac-12. So, you know, at some point they're going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to be aggressive. They're going to have to expand because they're getting ready to, to lose a couple of teams. I think everybody knows that's going to happen. What the timeline in is on that, I don't know, but I would expect them to lose probably four teams here in the next year or two. All right. Um, Coach, you want to keep going or take a break? What What do you want to do? Can you stay through I'm, a break? I'm on, the question. Sure, I'm on your time. I like this. He's always he's checking <laughs> with the sideline, though. He always checks with the sideline. I like that. A good quarterback <laughs> checks with the coordinator or the head coach. Doesn't, doesn't the good quarterback do that, Coach? You always check with the sideline, no right? Yeah. No doubt. All right. No doubt. Ilk's got an update, and then we'll come back. And uh, I got a couple other games I want to ask Coach Martin about. Uh, did we talk about Doug last week? The uh, the window getting shortened on the uh, transfer portal. We do. We, we just touched on it a little bit. Yeah. All right. We, That's we, why I told we'll you. We'll start there next. Coach. I want you. Okay. I'm sure you got sure. more thoughts on that. So we'll Absolutely. we'll talk about that. Yeah. We'll thoughts. talk about that. <laughs> You got thoughts, yeah. We'll talk about thoughts, that when we yeah. come. We'll talk about it when we come back with Doug Martin. Uh, right now, here is Philip the Ref Pilkington with a pirate report in ninety four three. The game sports update. Thanks, Patrick. Philip Pilkington here with your ninety four three. The game sports flash update and pirate report. Pirate football versus SMU is just one day away. The Pirates are coming off a bye week, and Coach Houston talks about the self scouting his team did on that bye week. Took a look back at you know all the games we've played so far, and you know obviously you know you can look at some areas where we need to play better, uh, and really identify those areas and, uh, and scripted out practice to where you know we're good on good for those different situations. So really, you know when you look at last week's practice, all three days, 
uh, really put, we put the kids in competitive situations. And sticking with Pirate Athletics, be sure to head on out to Johnson Stadium tonight as the soccer team hosts number nine Memphis at 7 p.m. The first 250 fans will receive a free no-quarter flag. In the NFL, first-round draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts, Anthony Richardson has been moved to the IR as he is dealing with a shoulder injury. This means he will miss at least four weeks. The Colts travel to Jacksonville this week where Gardner Minshew is expected to get the start. It is opening night for the Carolina Hurricanes as they host the Washington Senators at 7 p.m. The Canes are coming off the season in which they won the Metro Metropolitan Division and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Moving over to Major League Baseball right now, it is currently scoreless in the top of the second in the Game 3 between the Braves and Phillies. That series is tied at one apiece. Later tonight at 7 o'clock, the Strohs will visit the Twins. Strohs lead that series 2-1 and the D-backs will look to sweep the Dodgers tonight at 9 o'clock. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash Update and Pirate Report on the other side of this timeout. More with Coach Doug Martin and the Pete. Dan Patrick mornings, Adam Gold middays, and Patrick Johnson on the way home. The best sports talk lineup in the Pirate Nation is heard right here. Right, let's go. 94.3 The Game, the flagship station of the ECU Pirates and Eastern North Carolina's home for sports. Woo-hoo! More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up. All right, uh, welcome back here to the Patrick Johnson uh, Show. Doug Martin uh, joining us. Uh, before we get back to coach, uh, wanted to say Holton Ehlers, uh, you have the story about, uh, Indianapolis and Richardson, uh, they had four quarterbacks in to work out for him. I know Ehlers, according to a report out of Indianapolis was one of those, uh, I've been meaning to mention that since this morning. And I also, uh, should consult my notes even more because I had that, uh, and could have said it at the beginning of this show. And I also had this, I wanted to talk about from last week, Doug Martin, uh, the end of the Miami Georgia Tech game, obviously, a uh, uh, it's the opposite of a master class on how to uh, operate that late game situation. So, um, Mike Houston was telling me Monday he's got kind of a timing chart, you know, and it's they updated as needed. But you have all the scenarios on this chart that you know, time remaining, timeouts that probably changes a little bit this year. With well, let's just start there. So what did you have on the sideline that allowed you to know, okay, at this point we kill it, at this point we need to run it and not take a knee, et cetera? Yeah, every, everybody has that. There's really no excuse for what happened there at Miami. Every coach has that chart. They have it in the press box with your coaches up there and you have it on the sideline with your coaches down there and you're checking that ahead of time. So that chart, it'll have, you know, say the other team has three timeouts, then you can take a knee at X amount of time and run the clock out. They have two timeouts. This, you know, you have to do this. Everybody knows exactly how much time you can burn off by one, two, or three timeouts and by taking a knee. So that was a tough one, you know, and then that's that's a really bad mistake made. Uh, You know, those are one of those head coaching things. You know, you're going to be held accountable when you're the head coach for – for all those type of decisions, and that's that's why you get paid all the money you get paid. So they made a major mistake there. That should never happen. With that said, too, uh, did you also you had the two point chart, I guess, too? Yeah, in fact, you know, in the USFL, it's really different because you can go for one, two, or three points. So okay. we even have it. You know, we have a three point chart up there. So it's it's you know, and some of those are decisions. You know, sometimes it'll say go for two, and it'll say decision. 
Well, that, that may be a point where it's earlier, earlier in the game, so you need to decide whether you really want to do it now or not or if it's favorable for you. But, uh, yeah, everybody has the go for two chart also. Were you, what was your general rule of thumb on going for two or now in the case of going for three? I mean, is it more of a second app thing for for you? In yeah. your situation now, the head coach, I guess, makes the ultimate call potentially, but it, depending on the scenario. But you don't want to be chasing points early. No, you don't. I, I would never do it in the first half of a game for sure. Um, usually it was a you know halfway through the third quarter, maybe late third quarter from then on, you may do it. You know, some of it depends on how – you know, how good you are on offense and who you're playing too at those times. You know, if you've got a real advantage offensively or or if, you know, it's one of those situations where you're playing an unbelievably good defense and you may not get down there very many times, so you have to do it earlier. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into that, but uh, yeah, that's how we handle it. How much do you think uh, the timeout situation, because I mean, I, I noticed this Saturday, some weight guys got out of bounds late in the their drive but it wasn't two minutes yet, so the clock still runs. Right. Um, you know, I guess everybody's kind of conditioned for that. Still, to, So do you may, would you maybe hold on to some timeouts that, you know, you, you, you might or maybe use one a little earlier in that under five, under four kind of minute deal, um, knowing that you will have the benefit of the clock stopping like it does in the NFL in the final couple minutes? Yeah, so we've got the same same rules now. College has the same rules that we used in the USFL this year. That you know that clock doesn't stop on first downs or out of bounds till under two minutes left in the game. So, you know, and we get the two minute warning too, which is like another time right. uh, timeout. So, you know, you got to consider that for our deal. But uh, yeah, you got to consider. Uh, you know, under two minutes, that the clock is going to stop on first downs. It's going to stop when somebody goes out of bounds. Outside of that, it's not. So those are all things that you know you got to plan out ahead of time. And again, you have people talking in your ear about, "Hey, coach, you know, here's where we are time-wise. Here's what we need to be thinking about." And uh, you know, that's why they have so many right now. College staffs have analysts for this and analysts for that. I mean, uh, they got analysts for the analyst. You know, so it's a lot different than it was when I was coaching. You know, we had nine full-time assistants, and that was it. You know, you look at those staffs now. There's 20 guys out there, so they should be able to handle those things. All right, uh, Coach Doug Martin's with us. Uh, we touched on a little bit last week. Uh, we can expand upon it here today. So the, I guess this is in football, the window's been shortened to 45 days, or when we're talking about it specifically for football, 30 days after the season to enter the portal, 15 days after spring ball. Does that put up some guardrails that are needed for this uh, transfer portal? Uh, you know, I, I told you last week, Patrick, my, that's like putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, they're just that's the NCAA trying to cover their tail, in my opinion. This is all my – I'm not affiliated with any universities anymore, so I can kind of speak my mind. I, I think that's them covering their tail because they're getting so much backlash on how bad the transfer portal has been for everybody. It's not going to make any difference whether they have 30 days or 45 days. The problem with the transfer portal is this, so people understand how recruiting is really operating right now. You know, like, uh, you know, Alabama, I know for a fact, because I have a buddy that's on the staff there, they have a coach that is in charge of nothing but the transfer portal. Right. And that coach is looking at the best player, the best player at East Carolina, the best player at Appalachian State, the best player at, you name it, South Alabama, and they're going to go get those guys. If they're good enough, they're going to go recruit those guys out from under you. And that's where the transfer portal has 
hurt college football because that, that's a back way of doing it. You know, even if they're not supposed to do it that way, that's the way it's being done. And not only that, the schools like Alabama that really have a lot of clout, they're telling a the young man, say they've got they can only sign one running back in a class because of the way their numbers are, but there's two running backs that they really like. They'll tell one of them, hey, go to South Alabama for a year, work on your skills, and we'll get you out of the transfer portal next year. And that's exactly mm. what they do. And they can do it because they're going to get NIL money and the kid will do it. So these are all the things that are happening behind the scenes that people don't think about. The NCAA never even dreamed about. And it's it's killing college football. It's it's uh, it's just a bad way of doing things. And so now I think this is nothing more than a way for them to backtrack and save face a little bit. And the NCAA is really becoming insignificant. I mean, there, there are no more recruiting rules. There's no recruit rules in recruiting, but they keep trying to act like there is. You know, just like the wide receiver, they finally made eligible at North Carolina. Tez, right? I mean, you know, they, they could have done that weeks ago. There was no rule to keep that from happening. And then they just make up some deal of, oh, well, we found some new information. Come on, that's been going on for a year and a half. <laughs> well, how'd they find new right. information? You know, and, and that, that stuff really irritates me about the NCAA and the way they handle things. But, uh, you know, that's just, just my opinions. Do you think that uh, they will put any kind of guardrails on NIL now that they've sort of done something, even if it is just window dressing for, for the portal? You know, I, I just think once you get that genie out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. I, I mean, how do you do that? How do you go back now and try to make rules about, well, you can only spend this much money or it can only come from them? Or the, I mean, the, it's the transfer portal is the same way. It's uh, – you know, the mistake they made was they never involved the football coaches into making these decisions. Right, right. And, and you can look at any group in the NCAA. There's not football coaches in that group. That group that was deciding whether the, the wide receiver at North Carolina is going to be eligible or not, none of those guys were former coaches. They have an idea about, you know, what a young man goes through or, or you know, how it affects the coaching staff, how it affects a young man when he transfers, all those type of things. And so they don't have the fundamental knowledge that they need to make those decisions effectively. I want to ask you about one more game this weekend. Uh, Duke hosts State. Riley Leonard has, I guess, been upgraded to day-to-day, which if he plays, even if it's on a bad wheel, is a real advantage for Duke. North Carolina State, yeah, they scored a lot of points last week with the quarterback change, but they gave up a lot of points in, in surviving Marshall at home. So how do you see that game Saturday night? Yeah, NC State's got quarterback issues bad. You know, they turned the ball over a lot last week was the only reason Marshall could score. But uh, if Riley Leonard plays and well, I, I, his mobility is such a big part of his game, you know, I, I just hope he can move and protect himself. I, I don't think he can be near as effective without that. And he'll need that versus NC State, really good pressure defense. Uh, so if he plays and he's healthy, it's a different game altogether. Um, if he plays, he's healthy enough to move and create some plays, then that, that'll help. If he can't move, then, you know, it, it's still going to be a difficult game for Duke. But I think Duke definitely has a shot if he's healthy. If he is healthy-ish, I mean, you know, the Notre Dame loss was a loss, but it doesn't really change Duke's immediate goals because they're still undefeated in, in the ACC. Mm -hmm. So, it's a conference game. It's a rivalry factor to it. How healthy would he have to be if you were making that decision? 
Well, like I said, I, I, I would like to see him just enough where he can protect himself. I, you, you don't want to put him in there and him get hurt worse, you know, and right. then you lose him for four or five games. That's the thing with that, in my opinion. Now, if he can go out there and he moves well enough to to protect himself and stay healthy for the rest of the season, then you absolutely play him and, and let's go try to win that football game. Sometimes as a head coach, you have to protect a player from himself. You know, I, I had Julian Edelman was one of those guys, you know, Julian – you know, I mean, he could have a torn PCL in his knee and, and he tried to play the next week and I had to pull him out of the game and, you know, protect him from himself because he would have played the whole game. You know, sometimes you have to do that as a coach. And I'm sure Riley Leonard looks like the all-time competitor to me. I'm sure he's one of those guys. Uh, but, you know, like I say, if he can move and he's healthy enough to protect himself, let him play. Coach, great to talk to you. Thanks for the time always. Uh, it just – we could talk to you for – Five days a week, and I, we'd still cover a lot. of We'd get the wit and wisdom of uh, the great <laughs> Doug Martin five days a week. It'd be great. All right, Coach, uh, thanks a lot, I man. Nice it. to talk to you. Take care. I appreciate it. I can't get Vicky to talk to me here. I'm all by myself. So good to, do this. <laughs> good to talk to you guys anytime. I appreciate all right. it. You guys See be you, good. Yeah, right. take care. There he is, uh, Doug Martin. Uh, great to have him on. All right, uh, we'll take a timeout, Pilk, and uh, we'll come back and uh, kind of set the table for tomorrow. Big day, and uh, we'll get you ready for tomorrow's ECU-SMU Tilt. Stay with us. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. All right, uh, welcome back. We're getting ready for uh, tomorrow, and uh, that will be a uh, 7.30 kick. Night of the Boneyard, paint it black. Uh, Looking forward to what is going to be good weather for a home game. How about that? Uh, So hopefully a good crowd will be uh, out. I know a lot of people are coming from out of town to go to the game, so that's a positive for sure. Uh, We'll be on the air at 3.00. Tomorrow with uh, the Patrick Johnson show, and then beginning uh, somewhere in the four thirty half hour, we'll uh, be uh, coming in with uh, Pirate Game Day countdown, and uh, we'll have uh, kind of a, a star-studded lineup tomorrow. Coach Godwin will be with us at three fifteen on radio. Uh, Kevin Williams, director of golf at three thirty. Kirk Craft at four. Track and field, uh, their big cross country meet coming up. Uh, John Gilbert will be with us at 4.30 tomorrow uh, from uh, our broadcast perch. Uh, we'll get uh, things underway with our Pirate Game Day countdown. Jim Zoki will be stopping by. Stephen Igo will be coming over. Uh, we'll also have uh, Terrence Copper and Joey Football. We'll talk uh, Pirate Football. We'll hear from the coordinators, hear from some players, hear from Coach Houston, and uh, get the SMU perspective on things uh, tomorrow. So it'll be a... Uh, A full show tomorrow. Looking forward to it uh, beginning at 3. So note that, 3 o'clock tomorrow on 94.3 The Game, 94.3thegame.com, and the IBX Media app. Thanks to Philip the Ref Pilkington. Thanks to Doug Martin for being on with us. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, a myriad of guests. Looking forward to that on the Patrick Johnson Show. Have a great evening, everybody. 